Welcome back to One Winning Pod, where the votes are in and the people have spoken on who they wanted the late round bracket winner to be. But before we discuss that, guys, how'd you feel about the bracket or the chart, as we like to call it? <laughs> and uh, the chart. Are your, how are you feeling about it? Uh, feeling better about it than um, my uh, NCAA March Madness bracket, that I can say for sure. But surprised with who the overall winner was um i definitely thought that the matchup on the opposite side of the chart that this guy emerged from was going to be was really the real championship of the bracket but um the people made it interesting made it a very tight race and i get the argument i do um i still would have gone with someone else but i think that this is still someone you could say is the greatest ravens greatest player the ravens have drafted between rounds five and seven in franchise history so uh, it was a fun little exercise. I just can't believe the guy who inspired me to come up with this idea, he got knocked out in the first round. Chuck Clark. <laughs> like, couldn't beat... How did he get up against McPhee, man? But yeah, no, I, I kind of with Peter, man. Uh, Sam Cook, I mean, good choice, but man, I thought the outside linebackers on the other side definitely had a, choi- uh, definitely had a chance. But uh, yeah, I mean, lots of good names. It was kind of fun to go, go through it with people. Glad... Uh, Glad we got a lot of participation. That was nice. But yeah, I just feel, you know, I, f- I feel like I let my boy Chuck Clark down, you know? I feel like we let him down twice. First the trade and then the bracket, you know? Feels bad. Chris, you didn't go campaigning for him on Twitter. I saw no canvassing, you know? You got to get people to turn out to vote <laughs> that you thought were uh, Chuck Clark sympathizers. <laughs> I know. I've, I've, given up, I've given up on Twitter, but I'm on there very rarely now. Ever I, since the incident, I feel you. But, but uh, but but yeah, no, you're, you're right. No, it's it's all it's all my fault. So, <laughs> yeah. well, I the thing I was actually most proud of this uh, bracket was our intuition on the play-ins was I think really good. Um, we were having a lot of trouble figuring out who these last seeds should be, and we then decided to do a play-in, and except for one, uh, Broderick Washington versus Arthur Jones, which was a, a blowout. All of them were within a vote or two, uh, you know. It, you know, you could have maybe called for a recount, and uh, it, it would have changed. You know, if we tweeted it out a different day, kind of thing. So, it was definitely um, pretty tight. We actually had to have uh, the Nick Boyle, Bradley Bozeman one it was tied for a long, long time, just going back and forth. And you know, we kind of juiced it up at the end. They got the most votes because we were like, "Hey, this one's uh, <laughs> you know, this one's tied." Do you want to be the deciding factor? So. I thought that was a fun one, and I was glad that we did it that way uh, in retrospect. Yeah, definitely um, added some intrigue early on, uh, you know, because unlike basketball where you have an actual play out happening, like there's going to be a lot of uniformity over what people are going to pick, I feel. Um, even with that, we did have a couple upsets, which we'll talk about. But yeah, I definitely got the bracket out, I think, to on the right foot, got intrigue right off the bat with some intriguing matchups. So, yeah, that was fun. And, you know, we'll probably talk about it, too. But uh, even though Art Jones did get blown out, um, he was, I think, the last guy that we were debating putting in this bracket. There's still some other guys who were left off that you could make the argument, hey, you know, they're in the discussion as great picks from, you know, that time, those rounds. But they're just... It's just that the Ravens have drafted so many great ones. You're like, they're they're definitely a step or two below these guys, and everyone's going to be like, oh, yeah, no question, those picks were better. But those were still good picks. So fun trip down memory lane of, of how the Ravens have been able to strike a lot of gold at this point and, uh, you know, give us a little bit of hope 
you know, since we don't have many draft picks this year, but we do have a fifth and a sixth rounder, and hopefully they can be players that will rival the guys on on this list that would show up in a in a future bracket that we would do in the future. Maybe bump out Art Jones and maybe any late fourth round wide receiver or late round wide receiver could get turned into an actual name and <laughs> just a clump of them. <laughs> I was amused by the fact that uh, if you look at the rounds these guys were drafted in, only Geno Stone was drafted in the seventh round. All the rest were with five and six. It's actually basically evenly distributed, which I thought was another kind of interesting little factoid of uh, creating the the setup. But it, honestly, there was zero correlation with the round drafted and, and their results, um, which which also kind of makes sense. So our winner was actually a six round pick, and uh, so was the runner up. And uh, yeah, so it was a uh, it was pretty cool. I was surprised to see Waller fall in the first round. That was the the surprise upset for me. Um, I was also surprised that Tony Pasha's got zero love. The only person, fun fact, <laughs> Peter noticed, like the only person who didn't get a uh, pick at all in this draft, uh, Deshaun Elliott barely got one uh, in that next round. But yeah, definitely uh, <laughs> poor Pasha's. I, th- I mean, I think people forget that he was a longtime starter in the league after um, his time in, in Baltimore. You know, he bounced around to a couple places, at least San Francisco, maybe it was Cleveland, the other spot. But, I mean, he, he carved out a solid 10, 11-ish uh, year-long career for himself as a late-round pick, uh, solid guy. But he's a lineman, so I, I think, and his time in Baltimore wasn't terribly long when you compare it to other late round uh, picks. So I could certainly see that being a, a reason that he kind of got bumped down a bit. It might not be fresh in people's memories, but um, once again, you know, just saying, showing once again, the Ravens have a, a really good track record here. You know, just because someone didn't get a lot of votes doesn't mean that fan base isn't appreciative of them. It's just that that guy was just even better. Yeah. I'm sure there's a little bit of recency bias in here too. I think, um, I mean, I feel like Sam Cook, well, I guess maybe Dale's Thomas, but I feel like a lot of the, uh, you know, the late round early guys kind of fell off pretty early, but, uh, you know, Hey, it's the way it is. We know our audience. We, <laughs> <laughs> we know it was bound to happen. So it's, it's all good, but yeah, it's kind of fun to, you know, like we did with the, uh, undrafted bracket a couple of years ago, just to kind of look at, uh, you know, that's next year's bracket. Hopefully had some discussion. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's next year's bracket. Don't spoil so soon. <laughs> Yeah, people will forget. <laughs> yeah, that's right. But uh, I don't know. I, I guess the only other thing that was kind of surprising, we kind of alluded to it, we had the, the Matt Judon and Delius Thomas lineup in the uh, elite or the final four. And I thought I thought Matt Judon was going to win. Even though I voted for Adelius Thomas, I thought Matt Judon was going to win for the recency bias part. And then once Adelius Thomas made that, I thought he had it in the back because he, like, you know, established himself in that round. But no, like, then then I was surprised even further, you know, um, and, and Sam Cook won. So that was, that was a, I mean, it was only by one vote for what it's worth. But yeah, I mean, it was still close. It's really interesting. And, and I'm interested to, to know what the majority of people filling out the bracket how they made their picks. Cause we discussed this in the seating. Like, do we seed these guys by how they were as their career as Ravens or their career as a whole, you know? And if you look at that, particularly the one four matchup, Darren Waller ranked one because even though, you know, he didn't realize his full potential in Baltimore, obviously after he went to 
then Oakland, now Vegas, he turned into a, a Pro Bowl talent. Uh, thankfully, he got the help that he he needed and, and just was able to just continue to be a star in this league. And hopefully he can continue that with the Giants now that he's been traded there. That being said, though, you could still make the argument. I mean, Nick Boyle obviously has been such a force as a blocker during his career. Uh, unfortunately, the injury sapped him of being able to carry around some of that strength that he was able to do, but he was just a monster in that position. Certainly, you know, below average as a receiving talent, but when you're looking at him as a blocking tight end, you want to compare that to where Boyle is among tight ends in the NFL during his prime as far as blocking and compare that to where Darren Waller is as, at receiving. You know, they're both comparable. I think it would rank definitely top five, maybe top three in that in both those categories. So, yeah, that one was interesting, I think, to, it would be interesting to know what people were thinking there. Were you doing it more as what their time as the Ravens were, or were you actually looking at it as like both these guys' career and weighing Boyle's blocking ability is more impressive as what Waller has done as a receiver? And then I think along those lines, I guess, so we have our final four, and I think our final four is really fair. However you wanted to see this, like Judon, Thomas, McPhee, Cook, all excellent finds uh, between rounds five and seven. So... Let's say this is it. These are the f- we're, we're saying that this is the pool, the four players we're going to pick from as the best pick um, of these guys. Which which do you guys would would you pick as a number one? I definitely have a number one pick. I was curious if you guys were able to narrow down one guy from that list. It's man, it's really tough. Um, <laughs> it's tough. I guess my initial reaction is probably that the Sam Cook being the winner is probably where I would go um, in terms of. I mean, I think he wins it both from longevity. Um, I mean, he's played the most games ever as a Raven. So he clearly has that um, in the bag. But, um, you know, also, he, I guess he, he never kind of achieved, well, I don't know if he's kind of achieved the Hall of Fame level status of a punter. But I think for the last, I don't know, six or seven years, I think around the league, I think Cook is kind of, you know, kind of known as one of the elite punters, maybe not the last couple of years, I think with, you know, some other guys sort of, you know, having better stats in terms of net yardage and stuff like that. But Cook was still kind of like, you know, revolutionized the position a little bit. Um, It's the one that I think he did, like the punters are people too. And, you know, he had that article from ESPN that was like, you know, he's invented all these types of kicks and stuff. So like, he's almost a little bit like Yonda in that, like, you know, you have the longevity and you have just like the respect of your peers kind of thing. I look at McPhee and I'm like, McPhee was good. He kind of chopped off for a little bit when he went to the the Bears, um, came back and obviously a good player, but like not the same level. Um, Judon, I think, has an opportunity to get there if he continues his career in New England. I think overall, like he might make it. Um, Adelius Thomas is so interesting though, because I, I know, I remember of him a little bit. And I know that he was definitely one of the elite players kind of in those early mid 2000 defenses and he played fairly well in New England as well but to me it kind of like ended up almost in like in the hall of very good which is like kind of where Cook is so I can like he might be my other choice but I, I do feel like Cook just has the longevity I would just give it to him over that you know this was my final four um when I did my independent bracket and I had Adelius Thomas winning but I've, honestly I, I've been somewhat convinced as well you know like I've been, I can see why Sam won and I'm like happy to let Sam be the winner and maybe even like have my mind changed because I feel like Adelius kind of fell off after he left the Ravens. You know, he just wasn't quite the same. Whereas like, you know, like you discussed, Sam Cook had, uh, you know, so many years of excellence. So 
I don't know. What do you, what did you think, Peter? Because I definitely we discussed in our like private channel like we thought there would be a runaway winner, and then we were like surprised it was close. So <laughs> I, I and then I was like maybe two people thought there was a runaway winner and they were different, and that's why it got so close. <laughs> I, I mean I well, thought it was going to be a dailyus, but then I guess not. Yeah, I, I too thought that when it came down to it, it was going to be a dailyus, and I, you know I, I guess it, it's interesting because. Obviously, who was voting in this? Well, people who listen to this pod and who follow our Twitter. And I think that if you're part of this audience for as long as you've been, you, you probably have a slightly different view of the Ravens than the general, you know, stereotypical Ravens Twitter verse, which I feel like if we opened it up to all Ravens Twitter, there's no way that Sam Cook, a punter, would win this. But like, I think fans appreciate, and you know, the Ravens have done a good job of this over the past decade of people really coming to appreciate minutiae of football that maybe other franchises don't put as much emphasis on. Um, for better or for worse, I'm sure we could have a very spirited conversation as to whether or not the Ravens put too much of an emphasis on blocking tight ends <laughs> and, and specialty punters. But yeah, I, I think that, you know, like Chris said, the NFL Network um, story and the ESPN story that really showcased how Cook had, had transformed the game explains a, a big part of, of how he was able to get to the to the championship and basically turn the matchup to Adelius, against Adelius Thomas, which I also thought was going to be a landslide in Thomas's favor um, into a coin flip, uh, you know. But, yeah, I, I will say Adelius Thomas, um, great player for the Ravens. Uh, he is one of my all-time favorites as far as, like, you know, kind of like the Tier B Ravens players, I think, Um uh, he was a very good player, but he he wasn't in the in the vein of like Ray Lewis and uh, McAllister and, and Bulware from from that era. Certainly, certainly a tier below that. Um, but excellent player. Uh, he he did take a slight a slight dip in play in New England, but I think he was still a very good player there. Got to give credit to the guy for standing up to Belichick. If you guys remember. Uh, his time in New England kind of waned where basically him and Belichick got into a little bit of a standoff over Adelius Thomas being late for a practice where it was just snowing in Boston. So there was traffic and he called the organization said, Hey, I'm stuck in traffic. So I'm going to be late. And Belichick was just like, when he got to there, the training facility, just sent him home. And Adelius Thomas is, is talking with reporters the next week being like, man, I'm a, I'm a grown man. I told this organization I was going to be late because there was snow. I, I can't, I'm not, uh, don't have that flying car from the Jetsons, so I don't know what they wanted me to do. It's a little quote from him. He said, I'm not, I don't have the flying car from the Jetsons. Um, so, I mean, you know, props to him for standing up to Belichick's BS, you know. I think we can all appreciate that. I do have to give it to Judon. I think Judon is the absolute clear-cut favorite here, uh, should have been the winner. The guy came in, and, and from day one, um, which you can't say for almost everyone in this list, almost everyone here in this list, it took him a few seasons to uh, establish themselves. Heck, I was re-listening to Sam Cook's uh, retirement press conference today in preparation for this episode, and he was recanting a story where in his second year, uh, he got called in, into, the, into the office, and they said, hey, if you don't, if you don't pump better, like, we're cutting you, like, after this coming game. And obviously he, he had a great game because he's had that long tenure with the Ravens. But uh, Judon came out as a huge splash. And, you know, it's frustrating that we've seen his best self uh, since he left Baltimore, generally with Ravens defensive players who were later round selections. That isn't the case. But Judon, uh, 
upped his game from being a very good player to a, a defensive MVP caliber player with New England the past few seasons. So when we're looking at their career as a whole, I think Judon is the clear-cut answer to the best pick that the Ravens have um, selected in the late rounds. If we're just going by what they did as a Raven, I do think you have a very tight race here between Cook, uh, Judon, and Thomas, because I think which is what Thomas and Judon both brought to the defense was very similar. Uh, they could rush the passer, but they could do it all. They could pass coverage. Um, Thomas was excellent in special teams. Actually, his first special, his first Pro Bowl appearance in 2003, he made it as a special teams uh, player entry, despite the fact that he had eight sacks on the season on defense. Uh, he got voted in as a special teams um, player. But uh, yeah, all that to say is, is my personal opinion. I think Judon uh, should have won this bracket, but uh, Thomas and Cook, definitely great players uh, in Ravens history as well. Now to talk about free agency, you know, Ravens are a little bit strapped by the uh, Lamar situation and uh, they definitely could make moves, but they're trying to let themselves uh, have the opportunity to match any offer sheets that might come in. And I think that's uh, kind of a pain, you know, <laughs> it's it's really difficult limbo to be in with Lamar hard to improve the team much so many things they could do if they even if they just knew like he was going to be on the ravens on the 32 million dollar contract you could do so much stuff but uh because they don't want to start pulling levers and then not be able to match a contract which i think is completely reasonable and, and forward thinking uh we're kind of stuck here twiddling our thumbs a little bit but we have been able to keep some of our own gina stone nick moore justice hill all resigned with the ravens tavon mullen agreed to a one-year deal and Michael Pierce and Gus Edwards were renegotiated. They also used void years to open up some more cap space. Unfortunately, though, uh, the saddest news of them all was that we cut Calais Campbell. He is still a free agent at the moment. Uh, in the release of the news, Acosta said that they're definitely open to bringing him back. Uh, I can't help but think, you know, if this Lamar situation was different, we would definitely have kept him. But, uh, you know, we'll see what Calais does. I know he wants to play with a competitor, so I could definitely see him coming back or at least waiting to sign. You know, he doesn't have to rush into anything. But I guess, uh, what are you guys thinking? Man, I have really had to recalibrate all my thoughts about this Lamar Jackson situation. I feel like for this whole period, I've been definitely among the more confident um, as far as the situation being wrapped up by the end of the year. Um, that would have been the end of the 2022 NFL calendar year. I I figured Lamar was just going to concede it at the after this year and realize, hey, like I bet on myself to have a great year and to lead the team far into the playoffs, which would up my my value. But um, that's obviously not what we've seen here. And something that's been really frustrating with this is that we're seeing that possibly you know like i said we're speculating here but i think it is a very logical conclusion to draw is that where we are with lamar is really holding up what the ravens can do now with that said you look at the free agents that are out there it feels to me and you guys can feel free to disagree but to me looking at it it feels overall like this isn't a year of free agency where there's some giant splashes right particularly at wide receiver and cornerback, which are the Ravens' biggest holes at the moment. Um, so, you know, is it killing them that much? Uh, debatable. I don't know. It, would uh, 
Adam Thielen or uh, Jacoby Myers really push the needle of the offense that much? Is missing out on them that big a deal? My initial lean is no. That said, you know, we kind of need someone out there to help out with depth, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. I I was, I had overlooked this part of the equation, um, that this hold holdout, it's not really a holdout, but you know, Lamar holding out on signing the tender, uh, could cause some ripples and kind of put the Ravens in, in a little bit of, of sludge at the moment and kicking the wheels. But yeah, well, it's certainly, let's put it this way. It's certainly not something that I look at here and say like, the Ravens are winning at the moment. If anything, it's a draw. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. It's definitely handicapping the team. Um, I, I can't say that I'm like, I can't say there there are any free agents on the market right now that I'm like, oh, the Ravens should have signed like this person. I think, you know, I, I kind of agree with you, Peter. Like a lot of the names out here, are just like okay, um, it's unfortunate. I think the. <laughs> I'm going to call it hashtag slay watch um, for about like two hours. I think it seemed like there was a rumor that the Ravens were interested in signing Darius slay away from the Eagles, which I would have loved that move. That would have been great. I think overall he had a great season with the Eagles. Um, He's a very good player, very underrated kind of similar to Marlowe in that respect um, for playing for, uh, for the lions for, you know, a long time, just never kind of really got that national recognition until he left. Um, (laughs) But that fell through. The Eagles resigned him. So, uh, yeah, I don't know what Marlo was talking about, but, uh, but yeah, other than that, like, I think it's fine. I don't know. The Ravens, the Ravens actually have kind of deviated a little bit the last couple of years in signing big free agents, um, near the beginning of free agency. So, I mean, you go back to Earl Thomas, you go to, um, uh, Marcus Williams and, you know, a couple of those names, you know, so like, it's not like the Ravens don't do it. It does happen occasionally if they find the player that they really, really like, um, yeah, I mean, I I just don't know if I like any of these receivers. Um, not that much to kind of give up some of this stuff. It is a little frustrating just like the not having the ability to do things. Like, I feel like I'm not worried now, but if it, this continues into around training camp, I'm a little bit more worried at that point. Um, I think that's going to definitely hurt the Ravens' ability to be able to pick up guys who are camp cuts, um, which is, is one issue, and to be able to make an in-season trade. Right. I mean, they have done that for the past couple of seasons. And I, I think if, um, you know, assuming like a tons of dominoes fall where they do, Lamar doesn't hold out. He plays, he plays well, he stays healthy. The team is playing well and that they just need one more piece to go really far. You know, they could have that ability, but you know, obviously with the, with the franchise tag and with the cap situation, it's just, there, there's not much you can do. It's a little frustrating. Um, you know, I get both sides of it. I get why Lamar wants to maximize his value. I get from the Ravens' perspective, it's frustrating that you're, you know, being held hostage by a player. Um, but, you know, it, it kind of is what it is. Um, I, I think we're all just we're all just hoping for some resolution here one way or the other. The thing I like to remind myself is that all the levers we're not pulling right now can be pulled next year. So part of me is like, you know what, uh, if we were to do those moves, keep Lamar Jackson, et cetera, et cetera, this would that would be almost like an all-in push for for this this season. So part of me is like we can we can wait. Um, and I agree with you, Peter. Like none of these wide receivers are making me itch to like you know uh, 
do a, a simple reconstruction of uh <laughs> of like you know mark andrews's deal or whatever and like open up some cap space go get this guy throw some void years on like i mean screw these wide receivers like honestly they're just not that interesting to me at all like i'd rather draft two guys draft a guy uh i don't know pray like i just <laughs> i don't i have no interest in any of them at all like i really really don't the only one that was just like slightly interesting me interesting to me purely as a player not because of like all the other baggage would have been brandon cooks i think he would have been a really interesting pick and for a fifth and a sixth that's nice but like the contract was was miserable so i never like i never knew about the slate news until after the fact but i would have like called bs on it because i, I thought it would cost too much money you know given like the the pickle that the ravens are in and uh yeah i don't know it all stinks, but it's not not the free agent class to go crazy on for sure. The Ravens are linked to Rock Yasin. He's a pretty decent outside corner, high draft pick. Had a productive season last year. Um, I could I could definitely see them be able to sign him for a reasonable contract, use void years, make him really really cheap this year, um, and. I, I anticipate the kind of talk about these void years. The Ravens are doing this with the full intention of, of fixing it. Um, no matter what happens with Lamar, right? If you keep Lamar, you're able to fix it. You can pull these things back and not actually have void years. Um, and if, if they don't, then they'll obviously have a lot more cap room to deal with. So <laughs> then they can deal with the, the void years. But I, I do think it's nice that they're doing that. I think it's really savvy. And I don't have any problem with it. I don't. I think it's a really appropriate use of the credit card. It's like my uh, opinion about taking on debt. It's not always the worst thing. Uh, <laughs> this is this is a smart debt to take on, and it's completely reasonable uh, to adjust it down the line. But I think Chris, you brought up a good point. I kind of forget about it frequently. That even though I think like it's kind of confusing to me, but my understanding is this: the Ravens have to stop negotiating with him on like July seventeenth. Uh, and then he's like, he's going to play under the tag. However, teams can still trade for him, like offer him an offer sheet and we can still match it like uh, through like week 10, I think, or something or week something. Like, don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure that's true. So like, there's like this other like timeline where some competitor, let's say like, I mean, it'd be ridiculous, but like Kansas city, <laughs> you know, I, I doubt they could, but they, like Mahomes goes down for the year and then they like pull the lever to go get Lamar Jackson. Um, that doesn't that doesn't feel like a real thing. I, I get, let's see who's who's another team that could be like more interesting. Uh, Lamar lost really bad on that bet if Kansas City t- trades for him because there's no way they're paying they could pay him with Mahomes contract. I mean the Colts are the ones that that scare me the most to be honest because like where do they where are they in the draft order? There's there's somewhere they could miss out on a top quarterback, right? The Colts are number four they're right like now. Four, yeah, yeah. That, you could miss out on on yeah, you know. They almost certainly there. will. Somebody's going to take the third pick from uh, from the the Cardinals, I think. Yeah, yeah. Young Stroud and Richardson could all be gone there, and then that that would really scare me right there. <laughs> but I think like the offer sheet would have to already exist going into draft night. Like, there's no way that this would actually be a concern for the Ravens, right? They can't like the picks happen, and then like in that 15 minutes. <laughs> 
you know, like they can't offer like offer yeah. an offer sheet and like, you know, all that stuff. Well, well, right. Sure. But I guess my point is like, if we're speculating that that's a possibility now for all, for us who give like all of like two minutes of thought to the Indianapolis Colts on average per week you know, as non Colts fans, like I'm sure their front office has thought of that as, as a path that they could, could go by whether or not they're highly considering it, you know, the Colts would want to do it immediately after their pick. They would draft mm. the fourth pick, which is why I'm saying, like, yeah. like they would, they, they they could put uh found groundwork for that to make it happen, you know, in the days leading up. Yeah, yeah, they could. I mean, that would be a definitely difficult spot. But honestly, man, it it appears to me with the way like the cost has navigated this so far, Hoboy's ready to match like literally anything. <laughs> like, like. Nobody can like way. nobody can realistically give them an offer they can't refuse, and I I truly think that they're they're just wanting to be able to pass pass the blame to somebody else if a fully guaranteed deal is offered and that is signed. I feel like they're actually comfortable probably going that route, but they just don't want to be the ones that have to do it. I mean, like, at least by how they're posturing themselves, they're definitely posturing themselves for that uh, to be prepared for anything. But we'll see. I don't think it's going to happen. You know, the owners are meeting in a couple days. I think. And I'm sure it's going to come up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure it has to. I mean, there was that uh, was that the article that the NFLPA um, put out, and it was like, owners are colluding. This is un- unacceptable. So, yeah, I mean, once once that was kind of out, like, yeah, the, the response has to come. Um, but yeah, the collusion part of it is so interesting to me. Like, part of me it feels like sure, like it, it could be, but also at the same time, it's like. I wonder, does there even need to be co- co- collusion? Because everyone knows, like, it's kind of unspoken that everyone knows that, that owners don't want to pay that much to a quarterback and that so- someone else getting Watson money would bring the average value up. So it's like, is that collusion? If it's if it's obvious knowledge, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, no, that's like, that's the whole, that's the yeah. argument they'll make is like, it's not actually collusion. We're just all coming to the same conclusion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's... Yeah, I mean, it's weird. Like, <laughs> I feel like you have to have an established baseline of more than one data point before, like, you have to have, more, like, we have, like, one fully guaranteed contract. So, right. is that an outlier or is that the standard, right? I think it's very clear that, like, from how everyone else is responding to it from the owners, like, that's an outlier. That's not going to happen again. <laughs> like, it was a bad, it was a bad trade. It was a bad deal. Like, everything everything about it was just bad. Um, yeah, you can't make an outlier the new standard based on that, but the process has got to play out and all that stuff so i think though while the ravens are sitting somewhat still retaining their own as best they can the rest of the division is making some moves i think the number one move in the division has to be orlando brown jr going to the cincinnati Bengals on a four-year 64 million dollar contract i'm not that scared of him (laughs) I'm not too worried. I'm like kind of hyped for a way to get the chance to pass rush on him because he's like the exact guy we got from that trade. So uh, it'll make for some good storylines. And yeah, I don't know. Not that excited uh, for them. I, I feel like OBJ is a very serviceable tackle in this league. He is probably above average, but the average isn't great. And he's certainly not elite. Yeah, I, you know, I won't admit that I've watched a ton of Orlando Brown's tape when he went to the Chiefs. Um, certainly, there have been some clips that have made their way online where he 
just got completely bull rushed, you know, wasn't able to keep up with someone's speed. Um, but you know, I, I haven't watched enough of his tape to say whether or not he's, he's lost a step since he went to Kansas city, left Baltimore. So I see that argument. Um, you know, I, at the end of the day though, it is still just one move. I think that it really doesn't do too much or little for the Bengals because they already really have revamped. They already revamped their offensive line big last off season. Um, left tackle is the most important position. Sure. But you know, I, I think they did enough to to take it away from sandpaper, which is what it was in 2020 when they made the Super Bowl, uh, to pretty decent, which is what it was last year. So, but yeah, I mean, you know, that is one thing we can look at as the rest of the division and compare that with what the Ravens have done. It's not like teams have made super big splashes. Um, if Orlando Brown is the, is the one that we're going to say is the biggest splash of any team um, by far, yeah, the Ravens really haven't been overtaken uh, by anyone else in the division when we're just looking at additions made through free agency, at least at this time. Yeah, I kind of look at the Browns. Um, I feel like nobody that they kind of signed was really kind of worth it. I know they did end up cutting a couple of people. Um, Josh Johnson, I think, or John Johnson, their safety, um, ended up cutting him, uh, signed one Thornhill for a three-year deal um, to replace him. A couple of the other names there, like re-signed a couple of people. Uh, Taki Taki was one. Um, yeah, I don't know. Nothing there kind of really scares me, especially for their team. It was just kind of middling last year. Like, I guess if they get some of their quarterback situation figured out and coaching, like maybe they might do damage, but no big splashes. The Bengals, I think it is important to know that while they signed a couple guys, um, Orlando Brown, uh, Jermaine Pratt, I think re-signing him, that was a good deal for them. Uh, three years, $21 million. That's not too bad. Um, I think Pratt's definitely on that solid, like, B-tier linebacker. Um, they did end up losing both their starting safeties, uh, Jesse Bates and Von Bell. So I do think that's going to be pretty significant for them. Um, you know, their secondary is going to have a lot of uh, a lot of changes this year. So for a team that played really well on defense, especially into the playoffs, you know, I'd have to think that that would be significant. Um, you know, we'll see what happens when they draft. Um, I'd, I'd imagine that probably corner or safety, one of those will be a position. I know they have Dax Hill, but um, didn't really uh, play too well for them last year. So I don't, you know, who knows if they're still believing him. I, I don't know. But uh, we would probably have to ask uh, Justin about that in a couple months. But but uh, but yeah, I think, I, th- I think that'll be interesting, kind of see what they're doing. The Steelers, I feel like, just overall, I, not a whole lot of names on there, but... I feel like a couple of those are some good signings, um, especially uh, Isaac Sumolo, uh, from a guard from the Eagles, kind of helps solidify the offensive line. I, I think that could be significant, um, but uh, I mean, yeah, we'll have to see. Uh, I think they're definitely trying to kind of fill in some gaps, especially a linebacker too. They've overturned a lot of names there, so um, I don't know how that experiment's going to work for them, but at least on the offensive line, I think that's uh, that's a good signing for them. Well, apparently Jonah Williams has requested a trade. So that's interesting. It, like they made their tackles slightly better, but they might lose the other guy who they were hoping to move over to right. You know, like uh, we'll see how it actually plays out for him. But definitely uh, these guys are, they're, they're really, man, they're playing left really matters to them. I don't know. I never played football, so I can't, 
It seems to me like, you know, it wouldn't be that big a difference. But, man, left tackle. Got to protect that blind side. Pretty, make the extra five mil. Yeah. Pretty crazy, right? I mean, I feel like... Hey, my, do we, do is we it remember? the money, I guess? Do, I guess left tackles must make, on average, a, a significant amount more. That must be it. They do. Yeah, I mean, but I think it's, a you know, the competitor aspect of things. Um, you know, some people are just more natural that way. You know, that's been compared to wiping your butt with a different hand, like... You know, there's definitely, it's not like you could just change sides willy-nilly, but it is relatively, uh, you know, <laughs> it's a trans- more transferable skill than, than they might let on. Yeah. I'm just going to say, though, Orlando Brown, he got less money than uh, Ronnie Stanley did a couple years ago. So, I mean, did he really get more money holding out for left? I don't know. Well, I think, like, he kind of turned down a bigger contract at one point. I don't know about the guarantees and total structure, et cetera, et cetera, but... He definitely was had a bigger contract at one point from the Chiefs than uh, he ended up signing. So yeah, I don't know. There's still I think he still got the number one like guarantees though or something. Lamar liked his contract. We know that much. <laughs> Very proud. <laughs> Patrick Peterson went to the Steelers. Uh, not the player he once was, but still I think a decent addition for them. The good thing is like the division hasn't looked like they've gotten like scary better. They're just you know a little bit better. They definitely have made bigger moves than we have. There's a lot more millions of dollars being thrown around. Uh, you know, Dalvin Tomlinson, four-year, $57 million contract. It's a big deal um, for the Cleveland Browns. We'll see how that uh, you know impacts their defense. So, I don't know. There's just uh, there's a lot of – a decent amount of like role players, I feel like. Not um, you know earth-shattering, changing their scheme players. Just you know good role players. Yeah. Um, that could contribute and they might extract some value out of, uh, you know, get better play than the contract dictates. But honestly, a lot of these players I feel like are going to play to expectation, uh, for the dollars spent. So I'm not that worried. I guess the last bit of, uh, news too to discuss is that co-cap is, uh, leaving the Ravens to go to Tennessee's coaching staff to be the assistant special teams coach. So, you know, a little bit of a promotion for the guy. We'll definitely miss Levine in Baltimore. He had such a great career and contributed to our scouting team last year. So, wishing the best. Wouldn't be surprised at all if he's a special teams coach in a couple of years' time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it it sucks to lose him from the Ravens organization, uh, particularly to a team that we don't like terribly much, uh, to put it mildly. Um, but yeah, I mean, for his career personally as a coach, I think it's a huge move for him, and we wish him a lot of luck. And hopefully, yeah, he can become entrenched and be a a staying point in this league as a as a coach. Maybe work his way up to head coach. I can see that with him, you know. Um, but who knows? Good luck to him. And I guess that kind of brings us uh, full circle to the beginning of the episode because you know we're talking about former Ravens players who. Uh, particularly on special teams, he went into coaching roles and obviously Cook, you know, maybe people were figuring that into the final equation as well as marking him as the best pick uh, on the five to seven range. You know, he joined the Ravens staff as consultant for helping to coach up our guy with the hair, you know, so. Do you remember his name? (laughs) I do remember his name, but, you know, I was just trying to make it, a little more interesting. The most okay. uh, attractive player on the Ravens roster. <laughs> <laughs> I was feeding the line to Alec. If I just said Jordan Stout, I don't know if he would have gotten that. Okay. <laughs> I thought you legitimately forgot for a second. <laughs> that would have been really funny. 
<laughs> the guy with the hair. Yeah. The guy with the definitely hair. Definitely remember exactly. him. <laughs> I just like the fact that, that Sam's like hyping up his son. He's usually showing all these like funny videos of his son. He's going to be like the next coming, you know? <laughs> it's going to be awesome. Hey, maybe he will. I mean, I, I mean, he, he looks like he has some nice puns, you know? <laughs> I was watching it. I was the like, numbers are against him, but you know, he might. <laughs> I, I kind of like, I don't know. Part of me disagrees because I feel like if you had the best punter as your dad, like being able to teach you, like no one can compete with that, you know, <laughs> as long as you have oh, some, sure. I mean, like, you know, skill. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess I was saying like you look at all the players who've ever played professional sports and how many of their kids have made it like the Mannings, uh, Christian McCaffrey's dad and McCaffrey was a receiver for Denver with Elway. You know, Patrick Mahomes, his dad was a pitcher. Like, there are definitely, like, there's definitely a decent amount, but I feel like it's definitely a, a minority of pro athletes' kids go on to to make the pros. I guess that was my point. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's a it's a killer move, man, to be like trained as a punter from that early on. Because a lot of punters just sort of like converted, you know whatever sure yeah team so it's like it's interesting you know I, I, i'm hyped for him i think he could pull it off hard yeah. work well cook himself was according to wikipedia at least he played linebacker and tight end in college in uh, high school i mean yeah there you before go before he walked on to nebraska <laughs> well i guess that wraps up the episode thanks so much for listening everybody we'll be back eventually with more stuff it might actually be like finally a draft season We're like a month away i don't know i think so it's a time is it time to start talking about the draft not just be. Uh, I think it is. All right. I kind of don't want to because I have to confess that I haven't uh, done terribly much research. Doing too much college basketball research for my bracket that's in flames over <laughs> in the corner here. But hopefully my draft research will go better. Yeah, there's a little less variance, I feel like, <laughs> than March Madness. <laughs> but yeah, I guess we'll start breaking down the draft. Um, you can find us on Twitter, at Pod. You can email us one at gmail.com. We'll be back in a week or two to discuss said draft, any other big news with the Ravens. And until then, enjoy yourselves, have fun with your loved ones and family, and we'll see you soon.